Hello and welcome to Moving Iron Podcast number 63. Uh, today is segment one of the uh, new podcast format. So I've got my two best friends in the world, Regina Nargis and Aaron Finnell here with me. So it's another day, man. Yeah. A little rain out your way, Gina? No, we got skipped. Skipped over, huh? Yep, skipped. Calling for three to five inches and nothing. We had two chances for three to four and got zero. We got a bunch. Slow clap. <laughs> we got we got about two inches of rain and about five inches of snow or four inches of snow or something like that. So we got two skips of snow and then like frozen slush that was gone by noon so So this weekend obviously March Madness is going on was I didn't have a chance to really watch too many games I picked up a few here and there but the one thing that got me there was how could you be the number one overall seed and lose to the number 16 team (laughs) well I heard two different variations of that and I don't understand this because your 16 seeds is still like Texas Southern and stupid shit like that Somebody tried to say today, or last night on the Talking Head Sports Radio, that the 16s are not true 16s anymore because they do those four play-in games, and those are the last four in, supposedly. So they're saying Syracuse is more of a 16 seed than the 16 seeds were. And that other guy is like, well... Um, who the hell was that? University of Maryland, Baltimore County is who that is. That beat Virginia. He's like, they lost to Vermont by 50 points in two games. So, yeah, so I don't know. not exactly a juggernaut. A lot of politics in that, too. Yeah, oh, yeah. Definitely. Substantial politics. That's why Nebraska ball wasn't there. It's bullshit. Black flagged. How about them cats? Made the Sweet 16. Yeah. Co- and who's their coach is Weber, right? Bruce Weber? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, they won like, yeah, last night, like 50 to 46. It was like a, mm-hmm. like a uh, D2 Nebraska basketball, high school basketball <laughs> score. Yeah. Yeah, they went back and forth. I was watching Auburn and Clemson. Yeah. That was bloody. I quit watching it at halftime when they only had 19 points. <laughs> right? Yeah. That's what? I'm out. But what was cool, we watched, we were, uh, I was playing a board game with kids yesterday, and we had the game on in the background, and Nevada was down 22 in the second half, one by two. Yeah, that was, was cool. Game. That was a really good game. That was a good game. So, March Madness is always, that's only basketball I really watched during the year. Just that two weekends of basketball or whatever it is. Yeah. I didn't even get a bracket filled this year, <clears> so now I'm just kind of watching it for fun. I didn't either in protest. <laughs> Poor South Dakota State. There's a Nebraska kid, farm yeah. kid from Kimball there, who's yeah. probably going to the NBA, and they lost out in the first round. Oh, but yeah. it's probably a little tough to come into that competition from where they're at and, yeah. and play and compete. It's a lot of pressure. I think they won their first game last year, though. No, they lost last year, their Did first they? game. Mm-hmm. He's amazing. Yeah. Awesome. Okay. So last time we were on here, Aaron and I did a pretty good uh, rundown on what we saw in the planter market. And another big spring thing is always top dressing wheat and getting your sprayer ready to go. So let's talk a little sprayers right now. So take a look across the landscape. What do you see out in the wholesale market, Aaron? Oh, they're they're quiet from what they were. Um, I still feel like 
the less than two year old, less than 700, 800 hour rig is still pretty hot. Um, older sprayers, the 30 series, 20 series were like crazy red hot at the end of the year last year. And I think they've cooled off considerably. Um, but I, the, the R's are still selling. It's, it's a real wishy-washy market. You know, there'll be, there'll be one day where there is several dealers, our own sales force, uh, Iron Connect wholesale channels, other wholesalers across country, where there's a substantial amount of activity on our series sprayers like in one week and then next week there's just nothing um so the r the r series is still popular still good stuff it just depends on the day it's real day to day um it's real uh, kind of sporadic on model also you know whether it's a, a 4030 a 4038 4045 it just depends yeah so what are you saying gina um yeah, I think definitely even right now on the new side of things, like we can't get our hands on whatever we have for sprayers is what we have, and nobody else wants to give up any of their sprayers um, for dealer transfer. So it's definitely, you know, everybody's holding on to their inventory tight because it's there are those deals that are coming up that they have to have it. Um, and like Aaron said, anything low hour is always hot. Um, but yeah, 49.40 seemed to kind of to cool off here at the end of the year, and um, it's just kind of a hit or miss market. Yeah. No, I see the same thing too. And you know, we're looking at the same stuff and I, what the one, the one Avenue of the sprayers that I've noticed that seems to have a little bit of life, a little bit is some of those later model 30 series sprayers. You start looking at something like the, like a 4830, especially, it seems like that's a very popular thing that guys are looking for now. They're wanting something that's got some hours on it. And, and it, it seems like the ones we're looking at, they're trading in their 20 series something or their 10 something and then obviously moving into a 30 series but i feel like the conversation i'm having with our guys is that there seems to be a fair amount of of 30 series sprayer activity so when you look out across the country and you're talking to the dealers and stuff do you see something very similar to that yeah i would agree with you to the point of the maybe higher hour isn't the right word but it's a dollars and cents thing. You're exactly right. If if they can get a thirty, mm -hmm. for, you know, under a hundred for sure, mm -hmm. it's a home run. Yeah. A forty-seven and a forty-eight. Forty-nines are, forty-nines are kind of tough. Yeah. Um, and it was always it's always been that way, dating back to the forty-nine twenty, just because it's a big unit, right. and, you know, not everybody wants. to needs 120 foot on that size machine or the extra weight of the machine itself carry 1200 gallons of solution you know that's where the the little as it gets older the smaller it is kind of nice kind of like when we had the planter glut that we talked about last week right. 12s were never a problem you know whether they were pole type three point whatever and sprayers was kind of that way yeah. um kind of like combines combines is a similar thing you know there's there's a eternal combine glut in america since the third year the 9600 but 94s and 95s are never a problem mm -hmm. you know in the in the early 2000s there was way too many 9600s um toward the end of the 2000s pre-2010 you know um it was the 97 70s and 98s it wasn't 96s and 95s right. so 
as as stuff gets older, gets aged, gets hours, whatever, the smaller the better, and that's that's very very clear in the sprayer world as well right now. So one trend I saw developing for a while, and this would have been kind of towards the beginning of the downturn, and kind of through that area, guys were were looking at taking their because there for a while, like when you got you're talking two thousand. 12, 13, United time frame. The 90 foot boom was a very popular, the 100 foot boom kind of hadn't made it there yet, but the 90 foot boom was, was kind of there. A lot of guys were looking at taking some of those like aluminum um, aftermarket booms right. and turn them into 120. They wanted to get the 4940 or, or, or 4045 or whatever it was uh, at the time, but they couldn't afford it. Right. So they were looking at adding a $30,000 set of booms on the back and and going at, I haven't really noticed that trend in here of late that's taken off like it had in the past um, with that with that growth structure that's there. But you know what what kind of trends are you seeing, both of you? What kind of trends are you seeing develop in in the spray marketplace? Well, at the time there wasn't always a hundred twenty foot option though either right. from the factory. Right. Um, so I think that drove a lot of that probably activity during that time frame. Now it's available as an option from the factory and through across all makes and models. So that's probably what's kind of, you know, made that not quite as popular of a thing going on, mm-hmm. in my opinion. But I and I would say from a from a used standpoint. Um, I would just assume if, if guys did that, that they still had their factory 90 and 100 sections. Mm-hmm. Um, the I think in our territory, we've had really good luck moving that 120-foot aluminum boom. Um, and the wheat belt, you know, Texas to through the Dakotas up in north and south there, they move pretty well. But other parts of the country, they're just they're not popular at all. Right. Um, and a lot of it is because, you know, smaller fields, even though it's aluminum, it's extra weight. Um, and guys just, you know, whoever's buying that machine, that 2,500 hour, 4730, he just wants it normal, you know, for lack of a better word. Right. So I wish when guys did that, they had all those, <clears throat> those, uh, the factory boom to throw back on there and sell that aluminum boom on big iron or auction time or something like that. Um, It'd be it'd be pretty handy for us, but but you know I I think a lot of times when guys did that that the factory booms probably stayed at K and S or uh, there's another outfit that makes that aluminum oh Boyd Boyd you know they shipped the there and the factory booms went there and these either ended up in the iron barrel or parts for a damaged rig or something like that so. And a lot of those too. There weren't very many, I think, guys that were just taking their perfectly fine booms off and doing that. Right. There's, there's obviously something wrong with them. And they were like, well, either I'd fix this one or I get a new set of booms. Right. You know, I bent the shit out of this. Let's put 120 foot aluminum <laughs> yeah. on it. Right on. Finally. <laughs> Another trend that I've seen that I've watched develop more than I've seen in the past is the sensitivity to spacing on the boom. Very. Nozzle mm-hmm. spacing. So it used to be 15 inch or 20, it didn't really matter. Right. It was just a kind of a preference thing, but they kind of did whatever they wanted to. And here of late, it is not only just that, but also what kind of plumbing there is on it. Yeah. You know, if it's gone from the, the, the PVC plumbing or the stainless steel plumbing. Yep. So the guys now, are, at least what I, who we were in contact with, they want 15 inch stainless steel spacing on their on their sprayers. So 
Well, and there's and the two big agronomic factors for that is the dicamba. That's what's driving the plumbing issue, and side dressing. Mm-hmm. You know, running running drops, running uh, whatever three sixty calls them things, the crow feet looking deals. Y drops. Y drops. Yeah, whether it's a piece of hose hanging out of the fitting or you got the nice Y drops on there, that's a bigger and bigger and bigger thing all the time. Yeah. Yeah. And that and that's driven by tight, you know, tight farm tight margins on the farm yeah. because for so long, especially in irrigated country out here, if a guy had a pivot, you could just fertigate. Mm-hmm. Easy peasy. Now guys are like I'm going to save every penny till I absolutely have to go out there and do it and then run your wide drops, what have you. And that's that's where that boom spacing issue is huge. And it, it's enormous, mm-hmm. you know. We've had sprayers in here that were gorgeous, beautiful rigs, but they were 20-inch, and we end up taking a loss on them to get them out of here because everybody just walk around it, and it's $8,000 on a 120-foot boom. It's eight to $10,000 to take a 20-inch and make it a 15, so... Yeah. Very labor, a lot of labor in there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, Gina, let's talk about the Hagees, what you see there. So, well, I look across it. That that was, uh, you know, especially for the John Deere dealers that have that are that are cat dealers. When you really, that's that's a good fit for them. Um, I always say probably the guys that aren't cat dealers in Iowa and Illinois. Of course, they're going to have, you know, guys are going to buy those. So, you look at some equipment here and there. Kind of where you what are you seeing about the Hagee and kind of what you seeing that's going for us? Um, for us, it's just kind of a little bit more of a new trend, mainly because mm-hmm. you know if you're looking at Iowa where they're close to where you know Hagee is, it's super super popular there. Um, the used market is almost near to none of those machines. Um, you know the the value and the prices on those machines are new near near new pricing, and it's really hard to bring one in wholesale. Mm-hmm. Um, but for some of our guys out here, there just hasn't necessarily been a Hagee dealer. So for some guys, it's kind of a newer concept. Not necessarily, not maybe a newer concept, but not guys aren't as familiar with it. Right. Um, so I think kind of as deer dealers start pushing that product and um, getting it out there to on customers' fields and letting them see how it works, it's going to become a bigger, bigger player in the market. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's just one of those guys, one of those things that guys have got to, you know, they got to go out and run it and, and try it out for themselves. So yeah. that's kind of my thought. But I we, we have one currently with the Y-drops on it, and it is a beast. Yeah. Yeah, yeah they're cool. They are mm-hmm. and, and that's something, you know, there too. Once. It's like a Lunar Rover. <laughs> yeah. I like the colors too, yeah. that gray with the weird yellow Yellow. it's kind of cool look a lot better in green and yellow but we'll see that's you know that's funny you bring up Hagee because five years ago or so that was a very it's a super selective market anyway because they're expensive the front boom is foreign to Mm -hmm. most guys but there was five six years ago I wouldn't have had any interest in a Hagee you know as far as that goes and now that mother deer has breathed upon Hagee it's all of a sudden every every deer dealer in the country that's what's like you were saying the wholesale you know how Mm -hmm. expensive they are now and all that I mean there is no deals to be had on a used Hagee well that too and they've also had they've niched that machine Mm -hmm. to be very much a commercial sprayer right you know there's not a lot of guys that can say I'm gonna get get a Hagee you know it's a it's a very niche machine it's a super high clearance machine Mm -hmm. it's a very much a corn 
corn country machine. Right. So you you're in this little box, and that's where you're gonna stay. And they've made a been very successful inside that box, though. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's uh, it's definitely one thing that that's uh, worth watching and seeing how that benefits and where that goes from here. Yeah. Um, Can we talk about carbon fiber booms? Absolutely. <laughs> oh boy. Tip of my tongue. <laughs> I almost um, said something about imaginary plastic booms a little bit ago. But. <laughs> I I honestly, we just had a, two weeks worth of sprayer clinics, and I didn't know all the ins and outs of carbon fiber booms until I sat through that clinic. And one of the things that shocked me was the fact that, like, just by touching a thing, you can get splinters. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, you hit something with that boom, and you have to basically have it repaired right away it's not it's not something that you know you can just oh whoops i hit that telephone pole and you know go around and be okay um that was something that stood out to me that i was like ooh, kind of made me a little bit nervous about them so yeah. i don't know what what are you guys hearing or what aaron is there anything on twitter or are there guys talking about it yet or has it been kind of quiet i you know when it when it first uh became the cool thing which as far as i know was pretty short-lived the cool thing was just because of the 132 foot um being knowing what i know from our own cad guy and hearing stories i've heard it's not a cool thing at all because like you said i know in our territory we had one get damaged and it was like who who fixes this you know so then you got a patch riveted on there, and well, that might hold, but let's throw this on there and everything else. And I, I think the idea is right, and I think it's got potential. Right now, it's not there. Um, I don't, I don't know. I'm, I'm not a fan whatsoever of that thing. Well, I think as, as definitely as as the technology gets better, and, and just like anything else, after the first couple of years, they always figure out a way to do it. Sprayer booms will continue to get bigger, right? And bigger and bigger mm-hmm. and bigger. It won't be too long before someone has a 150 foot boom, just like someone's going to have a, a 55 foot flux head of some sort near for too long, right? So as that as that continues to happen, you'll, you're going to see some some transitions and and, and everything that, that comes along with that. But um, carbon fiber carbon fibers is the one thing that gives the the weight distribution that you need to have right but it, you know you're not weight to strength ratio right. mm-hmm. yeah. so you're gonna you're gonna have some some things that you come issues that you come across back to our kind of our argument we've had in the past as stuff becomes autonomous i was waiting for that right <laughs> you're gonna see machinery is gonna get smaller i mean the high-speed planners the high-speed land all drills and all that kind of stuff that are out there who wants to go till a field at 10 miles an hour? I do. Well, but I mean, <laughs> right now. You know what? But, I will call you for my cell phone and right. patch in on this deal. But you, but it's one of those things like it's, it's going to be a rough ride. You're going to have to have, obviously, because you're going over untilled ground. That's why you have a, a, a finisher of some sort that you're going to go do that with. Where I see this stuff headed is that you're going to go from these mega wide, mega huge machines down to smaller machines, and as that happens. You're going to see more and more of these 132 foot booms and those kind of things. We're going to go back to like 50, 60, 80, you know, 60, 80 booms and stuff like that. And that's what you're going to start seeing. I think the old, the old 60, 80. Yeah. You know, that's what you're going to start seeing is more and more of that stuff pop up as 
Because if you can put six machines out there and just let them go, and if one stops working, <sighs> oh well. Ugh. And we'll go out and fix that, and while the other five keep working, don't worry about it. Or the other f- four run into it, and then that other one went off to the neighbors. <laughs> and... Right. Uh, don't, I don't think Spray dicam on his beans, and you're going, that'll, oh, shit. That'll be a problem. Well, it'll work just like Auto Track works now. Yeah, that's probably a good point. You know, and something else about carbon fiber, it's been in the auto industry for decades. It's got it on my Lambo. I do too. Yeah. Yep. The uh, remote control Lambo. My kid has it, so. <laughs> it's an autonomous Lambo. Nonetheless. I just like to sit in the living room and look at it. Yeah. I don't drive it. Nonetheless. All right. So. I'm tall and girthy. Lambo is not for me. <laughs> All right, so now we're also had since we're in talking about real spray, real quick, real quick. You wouldn't want to be in a nine six twenty R pulling like a fifty foot high speed Landall or Degelman or something. That that just doesn't turn your crank one one little bit. I mean, it'd be fun. Oh, so you, for so an you, hour. For a little bit, it would be fun for hours on end. No, no. You don't even have to. What are you gonna What are you gonna do? Especially you hook up iTech in that baby. <laughs> well. Guess I'll hang out. I mean, if you had suspended cabs, but suspended, I, like if you know, if you had nine 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 six twenty R and you had the hydro float front end and yeah, you had hydro cushion, hydro cushion. Sorry, thinking of the uh, flex head. Flex head. Sorry, um, <laughs> hydro cushion, hydro cushion front end, and you know, suspended cab and all that stuff. IF eight hundred thirty eights on it. Maybe, but I wouldn't want to do it for waited waited for bear. I just no. Oh yeah, hell yes, leather seat. Fridge, get your refrigerator and your premium cab. What you're gonna have in about five years is, is about seven of these machines running around in your field, and they're gonna be 150 horsepower tractors. And you're gonna be like, Oh, look, my 150 horsepower How tractor. Long? Five to seven years. Five to ooh, it's pushing out to seven. Yeah. Mm-hmm. For sure. I mean, <laughs> you watch. Just look, just look how fast technology is rolling. There you go. And as long as there's gonna be a, a shortage in in on-farm labor, mm-hmm. which there is that already, drive that has been more fast than you can can you imagine. More fast, more fast, more fast, not faster. More fast, more fast. Because faster isn't as good as more fast. <laughs> <laughs> Damn it! I told you I need more fast. <laughs> That's plural. More fast is plural. All right. Um, springtime's coming, so talked about sprayers. Another spring product that we have a lot of are. We still have a lot during this time are swathers and balers. Gear up for hay. Getting ready for the hay. So we are probably, you know, we obviously have a while to go yet before we have our first cutting of alfalfa or anything like that. But um, for too long, they'll be laying down some, down, assuming that they've got moisture to do it with, laying down triticale and those kind of things down in the southern extensions of the uh, of the United States so, so they can roll forge harvesters over top of them. So let's take a look at the baler market, what you're seeing out there. Trends that are developing. What are you hearing out there? You got got many guys talking to you about Baylor's and what the new 569M now and 560. 560. 560, I'm sorry. 560M, 560R. Yeah. What about that Bale accumulator? Yeah. Aaron's all jacked up about it. Those are super cool. Yeah. So there's going to be, there's a lot of uh, neat technology that's coming out in Baylor across all manufacturing lines. Right. That baling again. Baling has become more of a, a precision thing, a time-sensitive thing, because it goes back to the farm labor th- situation. So, But 
Okay, this is the this is the Aaron Fennel info part of the show. Okay. With the five sixty nines and now the five sixty pick a letter series. In the five sixty nines a standard, not just here, but across the US, is worth more than a premium. Oh yeah, it's been that way for a long time. Right. Yeah. And I think the five sixty M will be worth more than the five sixty R. Right. And you're right. If you have an IVT tractor that's Green Star ready, mm-hmm. and you hook that baler up through the 2600, 2630, what have you, it's cool as shit. You know, it does everything for you. But that market is so minuscule, and it always will be because, and we are selling more and more and more swathers, windrowers with guidance on them. That's that's a big thing whether it's, you know, the ATUs or integrated, what have you, that's growing substantially every year. But in that baler market, that is one area, the round baler, where technology isn't necessarily the answer. I, I, I would agree. And we saw that with, like you said, with the premium series baler. Right. Where guys were, if they had... When when guys realize they get the the benefits of of the premium bag, the automation of the premium baler, you had to go buy a new tractor with it too. <laughs> right, you know what I mean? right. To make it work. So that was the biggest drawback there. I mean, I think a lot of you know custom hay guys, they they just want to make a bale of hay. Right. And they want to they want it to go as fast and be as as precise and, and tight of a bale as they can get. And the the regular. 569 baler worked just fine. Oh, yeah. Well, not only that, but what are you baling hay for? It's for livestock. Mm-hmm. Right. And in the livestock industry, machine technology has a little bit into it, but guys are far more concerned with genetics and, you know, the, the animals and what you're feeding them than what you're, the iron pieces you're doing it with. Mm-hmm. So speak to that a little bit. <laughs> so, for example, like there's a lot of different feedstuffs, products that you can mix together mm-hmm. to basically create your ration for your animals. Um, for example, on our in our ranch, we use um, distiller's grains and actually sugar beet pulp um, with some sorghum sedan hay. We don't feed any alfalfa. Growing up, that was a different story. Growing up, my mom fed her cows with alfalfa. That was like, you know, we had to feed our cows alfalfa, you know, Keep them to make them milk and make sure they have everything they need when they're cabin. And now my husband's way more analytical about, you know, sending the feedstuffs off for testing and um, getting back what the protein values are and everything and figuring that ration. Um, and I think there's a lot more guys doing that in the livestock industry to actually know exactly what they're feeding their animals and know exactly what they're going to produce out of those cattle or, or sheep or hogs or what have you. Um, um, so yeah, that's, there's a lot of that going into play, like Aaron said, where they don't really care what it was, you know, produced with necessarily, um, as long as it depends on what the end product is and what the end product does in the lab. Mm-hmm. And that was, <coughs> when I was, when I was in the, more into these four harvester market, that was a big thing. The nutritionists at the dairies were always like, we want our silage to be a, at an inch cut or right. an inch, mm-hmm. not an inch and a quarter, not an inch and eight, not three quarters of an inch, an inch, you know, yep. and that was the biggest thing. It was more important than anything else was, was what the 
what the cut was. So, and that's to your point. I mean, that's the <coughs> any, any technology on the livestock end. It seems like it goes. It revolves around how's I might how I how am I going to better affect the nutrition of the animals that I'm working with? Right. So I can get you know more gain for less dollars type of thing, and that's kind of what the whole thing revolves around. Right. I think this hay market could really take off and get hot if we continue to not get rains. I mean, even in our region, we're, yeah, our wheat's looking still hanging on there, but we still haven't had a lot of moisture, so to speak, for the wintertime. So it's going to be, I mean, there's going to be a huge push here to see how grass starts growing here in the next month or two to see what happens. And even down south, all the cattle that have been on wheat, running on wheat, where are they going to go and what are they going to be fed here in the near future? Because if there's no moisture we had and this drought keeps expanding kind of like it has been, that's going to be a huge, a huge driver. Um, and who knows, we might see things like the drought in, I don't know, what was that, 2012? Yeah. yeah. God God bless it. <laughs> the drought of 12. That was my first year. Thank out you, here. Illinois. That was the, for my 2010 is when I moved out here. And that was the year, that was like the second year of like some, some sustainable drought in like Texas, Oklahoma, Kansas. And then that's, that was the next summer was when it just went like, guys were having to chop their hay or chop their corn and they couldn't feed it all because the nitrates were so high and all this mm-hmm. different right. stuff. Mm-hmm. It, was, it was very much a very much a, a deal there. So, um, Oh, last week when I was on I, on the podcast, I had um, Sean Skaggs from Livingston Machinery. Big Baylor USA. Big Baylor USA. <laughs> and he was talking about that very thing. Like, they had, they had so much hay that they had stockpiled from when the drought came that they were just kind of a little bit anxious about keeping hay around. Yep. Um, between between that and the wildfires that went through that area, that they're feeding hay as fast as they can feed it. So the hay market is just is really going up because those guys are putting their those cows out on on wheat. Right. Mm-hmm. On the wheat stove or the wheat, uh, and then feed through the through the winter, and there's nothing really for them to go feed on. So they're oh, yeah. feeding tons of hay right now. Right. So that's going to be. The hay market is the one thing right now where I really think that there's going to be some... Well, you remember what it was like, how dairy hay was worth its weight in gold. Oh, yeah. You know, mm-hmm. and, and alfalfa bales and everything like that. I mean, all that stuff was just so expensive. And it was just like load after load after load was just going south. Mm-hmm. And you're starting to see that now. You watch these trucks leave. Mm-hmm. They're all going south. And so I'm kind of cautiously optimistic about the hay market, you know. If we can if we can grow hay here, but they can't grow it anywhere else, we're gonna sell a lot of balers. We're gonna sell a lot of windrows. We're gonna sell a lot of rakes and those kind of things. So yeah, because if the you know price is there, they'll buy the iron for it. So mm-hmm. and hopefully, with with the amount of rain of moisture that we've gotten in our in our general area here, you know, I, f- I feel like we could we're gonna be able to at least make the first cutting for sure. Mm-hmm. You know, we're gonna make the wheat crop for sure. So knock on wood, everything pans out. And, yeah comes together so all right well i think we've covered it for this one um any final thoughts you want to out there before we shut it down i don't think so i think it's just uh it's a good time to be alive and move some iron <laughs> <laughs> i gotta figure out how to get that in there every week yeah that's the deal yeah gina you got anything have a safe and happy spring because it seems yeah. like there's a lot of stuff moving and and shaking and guys are starting to get in the field they're getting pretty antsy to get out there so yeah hashtag plan 18 that's right yep. that's right so a couple things this week um make sure you tune in for 
moving irons uh, after the bell with Chip Nellinger. I uh, do that every periscope every day at twelve at uh, one thirty Central Time, and um, so watch for that. And um, other than that, man, I think that's it. So, Aaron, Gene, appreciate you guys being on. You bet. At least it's good to be here. All right. So before we shut it down, where they can they find you on the uh, Aaron Fennel at Facebook or at Aaron Fentel on the Twitterverse. Okay, Gina. Yep, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, Regina Nargis. Okay. And you can find me Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, at Moving Iron LLC. Also, got a new new addition to the social media network of the uh, Moving Iron Podcast uh, YouTube channel. So check that out, like, subscribe, all that fun stuff. So, um, so other than that, I think, remember, go to movingironllc.com. Get all the information for the 2018 Moving Iron Summit. Uh, read some blogs and also get past and present episodes of the Moving Iron Podcast. You can find this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and, and uh, SoundCloud. And uh, so until next time, I'm Casey Seymour. Aaron Fennell. Regina Nargis. Out.